Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Now, on to today's guest. He is a neuropsychopharmacologist. Yep, that's right neuropsychopharmacologist who specializes in researching drugs that affect the brain in conditions such as addiction and anxiety. He doesn't just go in for the legal drugs either. He's a true maverick who for the last 10 years has been on a crusade to get society to reapproach the way it thinks about drugs. He's also the host of the Drug Science Podcast, which I thoroughly recommend, and his autobiography, Nut Uncut, has just come out. It's always a colorful conversation with the professor, So I hope you enjoy this episode with Professor David Nutt. Hello, Professor Nutt. How lovely to have you on our podcast. I'm so excited. Thanks for inviting me, Joss. And and call me Dave, please. Don't call me Professor Nutt. All right then, Dave. So I know you've got the most brilliant scientific answers to all of our questions, all of my questions, and that's what I need to hear. I know that you have your podcast, The drug science mm-hmm. right we've had a little chat on that one before yes. i love it i think it's very interesting it gives us it gives us a look into things that's real mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. that's what we want that's what we need to hear so first let's talk about this crazy pandemic and how it's affecting our mental state okay um i know that it's like global issues so let's mm-hmm. start with something huge mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I have a lot of opinions on it, and I've written quite a bit about it, and uh, and made some suggestions as what people should be doing and, and what government should be doing. Right. And it's, uh, of course, you know, very few people take any notice, but <laughs> they should take notice of you. Well, it's you'd, all studies. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, I've been around a long time, and actually, I just one of the things that immediately came to me when I saw this was going to happen. Mm. I remember, oh, I, I came back to the UK from America in 1988. And I, I used to work at NIH in, in Washington, D.C., in Bethesda. And I came back to University of Bristol and I set up a clinic to treat people with various disorders where psychopharmacology might be useful. And I remember I, I saw a man who was um, in his sort of late 40s and uh, he'd had flu. There was a very big epidemic of flu in 1957 in Britain. And a, yeah, a huge proportion of the population got flu. And he'd never, he, he'd never recovered. He'd been depressed ever since. Oh, no. And, and I tried to help him. And, and, I, and I, I started looking into it. And I realised that actually flu was strongly associated with people having chronic exhaustion and depression. Oh. So, so as soon as I heard of COVID, I thought, well, here we go is this, again. Is this going to, here we, absolutely, here yeah. we go again. I mean, mm. you know, you don't, if you're affecting 100 million people, you know, you don't only need a small percentage to get problems like mm. that, you know, and that's still a lot of people. So that my first thought was, let's start finding out how people recover from this and the ones that don't, let's try to get them 
into treatment very early. And, and, and of course, I've been proved right. There's this long COVID is now well recognised. And, uh, mm. and it's almost certainly got a basis in terms of changing the brain. If you're poorly for a long time, it's going to affect your headspace. Well, it, it's partly that. It's partly, the, yeah, I mean, one of the things, you know, I just, as always, you know, I'm, look, I'm a psychiatrist. And it's like, you know, we're at the bottom of the pile. When it comes to doctors, you know, we're the, absolutely at the bottom of the pile. You know, there's a, <laughs> the brain surgeons no. and then the cancer doctors. Yeah, no, but, you know, psychiatrists. <laughs> can't be they say, real. Well, sure, they say, surely but, it's know. the most important thing is your well, brain because doesn't it instruct your body? Of course it is. Absolutely. But they say, well, you're not really a scientist. You know, it's all talk, you know. Show me the drugs. Show me the medicines. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, Covid comes along. Everyone assumes that because it's like a cold virus, yeah. it's going to give you a cold and it's going to affect your lungs. And of course, it does affect people's lungs. And all the but all the initial investment mm. was in ventilators. Until we just you know then we had no you know we had to make millions of ventilators because we didn't have enough ventilators. Then we discovered putting people on ventilators killed them. Oh yeah, <laughs> because we didn't really under you know we didn't. We made assumptions about this virus, which actually turned out to be wrong. But yeah, and what, do you think people, the ventilators killed them? Well, yeah. a lot of, the, vent, the outcome of people on ventilators is worse than the people who weren't. Ventilated. It's true, yeah. When they go on the ventilator, you start to go, "Oh dear, that's, that's right. the end of that." And it's because we didn't, because everyone thought the virus mm. was a, was affecting the lungs. But I think a lot of the people who died with coronavirus was because the virus got into their. We know it goes up the nose. We know it goes in through the mouth. We know it goes into the brain, and it probably stopped them breathing. Right. Because it was affecting their nervous system, which controls breathing, mm. rather than the lungs, which are just a kind of recipient of the nervous input. So, mm. you know, and it, and I, I think we, you know, we just went down, a, you know, the, you know, a rabbit hole to start with because people didn't really understand enough about the history of these viruses. I mean, these virus viruses have had huge impact. Have you ever seen this amazing film um, called Awakenings? No, I haven't. Ah, so this is there was there's a book by a, um, a famous neurologist um, called Oliver Stone who who wrote about the people who were affected by the 1918 virus, the big okay. flu virus, which killed more people than the, the First World War. Oh God! And uh, a small number of those people. I mean, it killed 40 million people, but a, <gasps> a few, a few hundred, a few thousand of them had a sleeping sickness. They just fell asleep, and, oh. and they didn't wake up until the 1960s. And stoning people, <laughs> truly, it's amazing. They no. kept them alive. No, it's absolutely. You're it's kidding amazing. me. No, it's a remarkable story of how nursing care kept them alive. Oh my god! For thirty years, or forty Jeez. years, but they were woken up. And that was a virus. That was a virus. It got into their brain. It, it knocked out. And we're going to come on to this when we talk about happiness. It knocked out mm. the nerves which control dopamine. Oh, no. And so they went into a state of stupor, like suspended animation, because their dopamine system was destroyed. And then in 19, about 1960, people realised, they looked at, the, some of them died, and they looked at their brains and said, hey, hang on, the dopamine's gone. And so they gave them dopamine and they woke up. And that's why the, the book is called Awakenings. Wow. Uh, and it's an so amazing th film as well, because it, 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 uh, it, well, it, it tells you that, you know, you, a single chemical can have such a profound effect on your brain. And that, that's kind of one of the reasons I'm interested in brain chemicals, because yep. they are pretty powerful things. Mm. So I was having a chat with um, a guy called Wim Hof. Have you heard of Wim Hof? Yes. He's, got, he's, he's kind of found a way of thinking his way into health mm. and mm. regulating his um, body temperature. So he walked up mm. Everest in his underpants and lived. You know, he's one of those crazy, yeah. amazing people. And he was saying about how 
we have things that are androgynous in us, you know, mm. those like uh, like the cannabinoids work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He was saying you can think that. So if these drugs, if let's say you don't have dopamine in your mm-hmm. in your mind or whatever, you can kind of convince yourself into having that. You don't need mm-hmm. the help of the doctors. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's such an easy thing to do. I think but is some it even people possible? Can. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, it is possible. I mean, at one level. But the first thing is, you know, it, it, if you're unconscious, it's, you can't think yourself back to consciousness. Of course, yeah. So, you know, it, it, he, you know his, all his kind of ideas really depend on the fact you've got a very, very functioning brain. But if you've got a very you functioning brain... You have to be brain, willing. You have, yeah, absolutely. And you have to have mm. an awful lot of willpower, which is what mm. he's got. Right. Like, it's really quite inspiring, really. I mean, I guess we can all do it. Well, if yeah, but I think it, lots of, it takes a lot of training. It's more than belief. It's training. Right. Okay. Yeah, he uh, did say that. It's a lot <laughs> it takes of, you, years. Yeah, you years can think, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to walk up Everest in my underpants. You will die. You will die, yes. You have to, but, <laughs> but, we, the, but, yeah. The sort of Buddhist monks have been, well, for, for millennia, have had these rituals mm. where they train their bodies to change the skin temperature and, and one of their rituals is that you have to to achieve the higher sort of level of uh, success mm. in these uh, as a as a as a apprentice in these uh, these hierarchies of uh, of being a yogi mm. you have to sit overnight in, in midwinter next to a lake and you have to put they bring towels out of the lake frozen towels basically Oh. Four degrees C, and they put them on you, and you have to evaporate something like ten overnight. Oh! In order to achieve, and people can achieve that. Not many, but people can change their body temperature to a point where they can evaporate over and stay alive <laughs> in wow. freezing winter, just by using the power of their mind. Yeah, by using their mind, controlling their body to control their body, and, right. uh, and the fact that you can do that. I, I, I don't think many people can do that. In fact, we know, you know, history tells us that those, those trainee monks, most of them fail in that task. Oh, really? But the fact that some can do it it's quite is incredible. absolutely remarkable. Mm-hmm. And so it raises, you know, I mean, it tells us the capacity of the human brain, which is really, you know, quite staggering. Yeah, it's amazing, uh, isn't it? But it also, it also tells us something else. It's, it, it, what really interests me about this is if the mind can do that when you're trying... What can it do if you don't? If you're unaware, mm. and I, I was, I, I, well, I did a podcast that, uh, which has not come out. It'll come out in the new year with Gabor Mate, who is a, mm-hmm. a, a famous um, doctor in Vancouver, who's dedicated his life largely to t- treating people who've got addictions. Mm. But he's got quite interested in um, psychedelics, particularly ayahuasca. Mm. Oh yeah, and he was telling me about a, a woman who came to him having, she had a, a, a severe. Uh, kind of connective tissue disorder where your your whole body sclerosis it all goes stiff so you can hardly you can hardly swallow in the end you know your eyes go stiff your oh. mouth goes stiff and uh, everyone assumes that this is a sort of uh, untreatable it. skin problem yeah. and oh, one dose it. of ayahuasca and she was normal why do you think that happened well Changed that tells us that, that, that you know if you, you, you her her brain was somehow changing through presumably nerves and maybe from hormones, mm. inputs to her skin so that her skin locked up, mm. and uh, and uh, it didn't unlock until she changed the brain, and that's wow. I mean you know that that just makes you think wow you know maybe so much of illness could actually be eventually be traced back into the brain. Yeah, I mean it's 
it's the instructor. It tells your body what to do. Surely it tells your body to make bad things and to give you bad thoughts. Well, yeah, well, it's... um. Yeah, it's of course, you know, in it a does, layman's terms. Yeah, it reacts with the body. I mean, you know, there's the important thing, I think, is that there's exactly, but it, that's the point. It, sh- right. it you know, it, you need to listen to your body. Yeah. But also, you know, you, to meet, you need to make sure your body listens to your mind as well. Gosh. So I know you've done a lot of studies on psilocybin. That's the mushrooms, right? Yes, yes. I wanted to talk about them because my friends, especially my brother, He's he's been picking them for years, mm-hmm. and um, and we've never really known a lot about them until recently because of your studies yes, and um, yes. and the micro dosing that's going on now. Mm-hmm. So there's these tiny little mushrooms that are found in the fields of Devon, and they're really I can never see the blasted things; they're too small. They're um, pretty tiny, yeah. Yeah. So how does this psilocybin that's found in this these magical mushrooms, how does it help? And can it be very harmful at all? Well, let's deal with the harm first. So, mm. When we started this research, we, we first approached the government for permission oh. to work, because <laughs> you have to, because magic mushrooms were made illegal in 2005. David Cameron's greatest contribution, when he beca- first contribution when he became leader of the Tory party, was to he get said, magic no. mushrooms made illegal. Oh, <laughs> why did he do that? Maybe he had a bad trip. No, he did it simple. Oh, he did it because the Daily Mail told him to. Oh, right. I mean, you know, I mean, basically, the Tory Party is basically, you know, the mouthpiece of the Daily Mail. Um, your your listeners in America won't understand what I'm talking about, but but the Daily <laughs> Mail is like Mail's the said, National Enquirer. Yeah, here. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so mushrooms were banned, and anyway, okay. I wrote to the government and said, I want to study. I want to find out why people take these. You know, what is what is the nature of the change in the brain? Why do people rave about mm. them? Why they find them so useful and so insightful? Right. And they said, well, are they safe? And I said, well, we don't know because no one's ever studied them to find out. But we reckon yeah. a million young people in Devon and, yeah. you know, Cornwall and Wales, the Brecon. Trudging you know, through the fields. Which yeah. were, you know, have about a million people were using them each year. Yep. And, uh, and there have never been any deaths. And most people find the effects interesting and positive. I mean, yes, you can have a bad trip, but most, yeah. you know, that's rare. And they said, all right, well, that sounds like an apparatus should be safe. So they let us do the experiment, which was great. What was the experiment? Well, the experiment was to give it to people and, and scan their brains. Wow, what did you find? Well, we found, we found, yeah, we found something utterly surprising. Okay. Because we, just, we kind of assumed, as you might assume, you know, if you're, if you're doing a brain scan, you're looking at which parts of the brain become active. And we thought, well, if people, when you know, we know what we knew what happened when they had these trips. You know, they see lots of coloured lights and become connected to nature. Well, they maybe. become absolutely. They be, they often feel that their body is disconnecting and moving out of the scanner. You know, they often feel that they're sort of morphing into oh, the universe. Wow, that so sounds thought, kind of terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Yeah, most people find it beautiful. I mean, okay, no, you're right. It can be if you're not prepared for that. It can be yeah. a bit scary, but most people actually find it interesting and actually rewarding in a way because it. It shows, again, the capacity of the mind. Mm. But we'll come back to that in a second. But, but we, okay. we thought all these interesting things happening in the brain, that there would be increased activity. You know, you know, the brain must be doing this. But in fact, when we did the brain scans, we showed the opposite. There was oh. less activity. Not everywhere. Just in a few spots in the brain, there was less activity. Oh. And we thought, how, how, can, what, what make, how do we make sense of this? 
And then we went back to the writings, um, particularly of Aldous Huxley. And mm -hmm. after he took mescaline, which is a kind of a cactus version of uh, magic mushroom juice, mm. a mescaline, he wrote that his mind was opened by the, by the uh, mescaline. And then he said, ah, that must mean there's something controlling my mind. And that must be the brain. And he said, the brain is an instrument for focusing the mind. And that, that focus is liberated by mescaline. And that's what we showed. We showed, we actually proved that his insight, you know, this, this great writer and philosopher, his insight from one experience was actually right. The brain science, these drugs switch off the parts of the brain that force us to do the things we've always done. They f and that's, in the end, why we started using mushrooms to treat depression. Because in, the, in depression, people's brains force them to think thoughts they don't want to think. Yeah. So it's lifting the anxiety, the blockage. Well, it's, it's, it's what happens in like depression. Like shutting and, that down. That's right. Yeah, people get locked. Depressive thinking, anxious thinking, it's like a habit. Your brain learns, just like you, learn to, you know, bite your nails or, you know, or twist your hair or, you know, yeah. count to three every time you go through it. You know, when people learn habits, yeah. uh, it's very, un, very difficult to unlearn them. And that's mm. and that, because it, at one level, the, that's one of the things the brain is really good at. The brain is a learning machine. Mm -hmm. And it can rapidly learn uh, to keep doing things. And if those things are bad, then it, you kind of eventually, you know, it could grind you into a continuous sort of work mode of negative thinking if you're depressed. And uh, what psilocybin does is break down that, you know, the, the centres of the brain that actually drive that repetitive thinking. And then you can be free from it. And, and you can escape even, you know, just for a few hours during the trip. But what's interesting in depression is it, that you escape from it. And for many people, they stay escaped for months or years. So that blockage gets lifted and then it doesn't, it doesn't have to come back. It doesn't come back. Yeah. It's, so again, it's not a blockage. It's the opposite. It's, it's the brain making you depressed. It's right. a force. It's a kind of, there's, a, there's a force in the field. It's a bit like a conductor of an orchestra. It's interesting because it's like saying to, yeah, it's like saying to the, um, the violas, be quiet. <laughs> It's saying to the conductor, for a moment. Yeah. stop conducting, let us do our own thing. So the analogy I like to use is this. You know, normally orchestras play what the conductor insists they play in the way the conductor insists. Mm. And if the orchestra don't like it, well, they still got to do it. But if you take away the conductor, then and instead of playing Bach, you can play, <laughs> you can play jazz and, you know, and you can syncopate, you can think differently, you can invent and you can see music in a different light. So we're thinking ourselves in distress. We need to chill out. Well, that's right. But the, but the point I really want to make is that it's, it can become a habit that you can't break in the same way mm. as biting your nails can be a habit. That the thinking gets laid down in pathways which are kind of beyond simple thinking. Mm. And it's hard to break out of those. And you can use CBT, which is hard thinking, you know, reasoning, reasoning, reasoning all the time about these thoughts to get rid of them. Hard work. Psilocybin can disrupt them, in, a, in you know, in minutes and help it you. Gives break you free. like a, a kind of kick start, maybe. That's right. That's right. It puts you in a place from which you can work out how to. You know, you Ideally, you, you know, you'll go into this place where you're not depressed. And the big challenge is keeping people there. Yeah. And that's the that's difficult. We found because in many people, the pressure to have these negative thoughts just keeps coming back and back. Yeah. And we don't fully it does. understand why that is. Yeah, and everybody has it, I think. We all have those little bastard thoughts that turn up and we're like, oh, 
go away. You know, and you're either very good at, at bashing it away or not. Yeah, well, if you can, absolutely, if you can distract it. I mean, some people use mindfulness, which is a, a mm. powerful way of trying to stop the thoughts getting into the bits of your mind you don't want them. Mm. So yeah. being that these mushrooms, these little psilocybin mm -hmm. joys, are just growing in the fields, mm -hmm. um, should we have to wait for permission to kind of self-heal? If they're right there in the field, because yeah, yeah. I know the studies need to happen, of course, because mm, mm. there's the fear that something might go wrong. And, but mm. like you said, there's not many things mm. that have really gone wrong. But yeah, I think maybe people that are listening, I think we're all going through our little anxieties and depressive yeah, and depressive yeah. moments. And, you know, the reality is literally outside your window, even if you have to get in the car and drive a bit, you can walk through the fields and find some little mushrooms. Let me just say a few things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not all little mushrooms are magic mushrooms. Right. So let's right. let's discuss so, which ones are. Well, <laughs> Very important. Yeah. Make sure you get a book with a picture. Of it. So you know, right? So that you know, you don't just graze on every little mushroom because some no, of them no, are no. not. No, no, okay. no. Some the of them first. are dodgy, aren't they? So, uh, yes. Some of them are dodgy. So yes. make sure you know what you're looking for. And there are different forms of magic. And, you know, I guess a lot of your listeners, well, you'll have listeners all over the world. So in different exactly. parts of the world, very different mushrooms uh, make psilocybin. Okay. So it's, I can't, in Britain, we have this thing called the Liberty Cap, which are the little ones that you know about, which are tiny. Yep. But, but in other parts of the world, they have big mushrooms. Many, mm -hmm. many different species of mushrooms make psilocybin. So the, and some of them can kill you, right? Some of them are really dangerous. Well, there are plenty of dangerous mushrooms too. That's right. So that's so, important. So if you're going to go out there and be like, I'm going to heal myself from all of the bad thoughts I'm having, definitely look it up. Yeah, um, I came across a fly garrick mushroom on a little stroll I was having um, in the forest with my dog Maggie. Oh my God, how beautiful. You know, it's that classic red top yes. mushroom with the white dots. And it's just amazing. But I thought, wow, I don't know whether that's going to be good no, or bad. No, and there... So there are two red top mushrooms. Okay. And there's Amanita muscaris, which is actually psychedelic and, and what used to be widely used in places like Siberia, Lapland. Right. Uh, even the uh, Caucasus, uh, Lebanon, uh, for psych psychedelic effects. Uh -huh. And then there's a poisonous one. So you, so you need to be quite careful about the red top mushrooms. All right. right. Yeah, be very careful. Sorry, but your question was, should if you once you've identified it... So my view is this, is it... Um, I think from our vast knowledge of the ex people who've used psilocybin and other you know, psychedelics uh, recreationally, or, I actually don't like the term recreational because it implies it's kind of hedonistic and, and, and frivolous. Yeah, it puts it in a funny space. It does. I think most people are actually using them to try to get a sense of the capacity of their brain. They're trying to understand their brain. They're trying to be, actually become more interesting and better people. I think it's pretty pretty safe for most people. I think if you're very depressed, however, you know, if if you've got, you know, a, 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 one thing I should say, you know, the depressed people they tend not to have fun trips. So a lot oh. of people with magic mushrooms they do find it relaxing and enjoyable and, and often laugh. So, but it, the, the, we find for our in our patients that the trips can often be really challenging because they actually go back to what caused the depression. Oh. And we think that helps them get over it, but but so I'm I'm it's cautious hard, about encouraging de really depressed people. But on the other hand, if you haven't got 
access to a treatment that works. And if you know, it's, you know, I can fully understand why some people you know would would still try. But if you're going to do it, make sure there's someone with you who isn't taking the mushrooms who can look, can look support after you. Through. you. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because there's all those horror stories about people like, you know, watching their fingers grow and chopping them off. Yeah. Well, there's. Yeah, there aren't many of those, but, but, <laughs> but they but exist. We tend to remember them, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. They stick in my mind, that's for sure. So, I mean, there's lots of drugs on the market that can help with um, depression mm. and anxiety mm. that get prescribed all the time. Um, yes. The worry, well, the thing that I actually worry about, because I, you know, love everyone and I just want everyone to be happy is when you go to the doctor and you say I've got this sadness and mm. and they say don't worry we've got this drug that will mm. put you on mm. for the rest of your life mm. it's just it's just a horrible thought isn't it to have to be on a drug for the rest of your life are those drugs are they helpful in the kickstarting in the way in the same way that psilocybin is no they're very different this is a really important question i mean i don't think they're detrimental i mean some of the older ones were pretty difficult but modern modern ones like the ssris they're actually pretty you know, they're actually some of them you can't take when you're pregnant i've learned which doesn't sound good it sounds like it's not good for your body it's like it's toxic uh well it so again this is always this difficult balance right so i mean if you are a very depressed person if you've had severe depression yeah, and you're on one of these drugs to prevent you getting being, depressed. Yeah, uh, and then you get pregnant. It, it's you have to make a decision because actually being very, very if you stop them and become very even more depressed and then commit mm. suicide, then it's not Oof. good for you or your baby. So, right. So, so it's a so we it's difficult to generalize. But then you don't want your baby to have three heads either. Well, that doesn't happen. Oh, and the worst that happens with <laughs> another myth busted. No, yeah, the worst that happens is that people have a bit of right. withdrawal. Um, Right, okay. I'm ready to if if you need to have them if you're a woman who wants you know has repeated depressions, yeah. And if you stop them and you get depressed, then it's better to be on them and have the baby because the the, the risks of the baby are are actually quite slight. They're very small. Oh well, that's yeah, good to quite know. Slight. Yeah. But um, but if you don't need them, then you shouldn't be on them. And I think mm. you know, the point you're making, I think, is that we. But well, when people go to doctors complaining of things like depression and anxiety, yeah. it's difficult for them to access treatments other than medicines because that's what doctors do. That's what they do, yeah. Now, psychological treatments can be useful. But yeah, actual therapy. That, yeah, but they're quite hard work. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be consistent. Yeah, and you've got to practice the thinking. Mm. And so there are people that just, oh, I can't be able to do that. You know, it's just too hard. Um, yeah. And it can be very expensive. Well, I mean, luckily the NHS pay for a lot of things. But if you're not in England, it can be very expensive. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the one of the real advantages of, of medicines. They are relatively inexpensive compared with other forms of treatment. Yeah. But I mean, the idea of just having to be on something like that forever with now, you know, this new knowledge that we can retrain our brains, it just seems such a shame, you know, because in a way, I, I suppose you're relying on it. And actually, there's another option. Well, just to be absolutely scientific about this. Yeah, please not do. Completely sure that everyone who re would respond, say, to a, an SSRI will oh, okay. respond to psilocybin. So we can't say categorically that everyone will be better switching. Right, but we have we are doing research at present, which suggests that that people do better in many aspects of their life if they use psilocybin rather than an SSRI. So, so we're getting some insights into that. 
the, 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 there are two challenges. The one is, of course, that a lot of people will still be very scared. They say, well, you know, exactly. these drugs are illegal. They must be dangerous. Right, exactly. And, uh, and that's something we're working hard to try to change people's perceptions and change government's perceptions because yeah. you know, these drugs weren't harmful. They got These drugs have been banned for political reasons, not for health reasons. Right. And then the second thing is to find therapists who are trained to give them you know, because we th- we think that if you're going to have a deep trip and you're going to go back into your childhood and discover, you know, the, the abuse that led to you being depressed. Oof, you, it sounds a little bit scary. Well, yeah, it can be. And that's a, it's basically it's high risk, high risk, high reward. But we yep. want you to be protected and we want therapists that can help you deal with it. If, it, if you come out of that and think, wow, you know, how, how am I going to cope with those thoughts again, those memories? Mm. You need a therapist. So, so. So it's kind of, you know, it's both psychologically challenging and also almost physically challenging too. Yeah. I mean, some of those thoughts and memories, best to just not think about it. Well, you know, there are two strategies. There absolutely, no, <laughs> Ignore. No. Head in the sand strategy can sometimes be all right. Well, yeah. So it's a really interesting question you raise. Yes. Yeah, so and we're, I've seen this in my, you know, I've been a psychiatrist for 40 years. Right. And... You know, if you if you can completely and totally suppress a memory, yep. you can often get by very, very well. Hmm. But one of the things we noticed uh, in my clinic over the years was that as people as people got older, and I'm thinking particularly about uh, uh, soldiers and, and combatants in the Second World War, as they got older, as they got into the 70s and 80s, then the horror started coming back. Oh. And that Oh my gosh, in the seventies and eighties In the seventies and eighties because That's a long time after. That's right. And it's why are they coming back? They're coming back because as they gradually get old and get demented, their brain can no longer suppress the memories. Oh no. Because the memories don't ever go. They don't, do they? They just sit there waiting. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you've been blown up and you've had you know, you've jumped out of a Lancaster bomber and you've been Drowned, nearly drowned in the North Sea with your skin half burnt off. Mm. You don't forget that. But it, you mm. can repress the memory until you can't. And so w- when people's brains are unable to repress, then the memories start coming back. And, and that's a really important insight because it tells us that, you know, it, it, there may be better ways of dealing with it. In the, you know, if you could get over the, overcome the memory, overcome the emotion rather than repress it. And that's what we're kind of trying to do now. A lot of veterans are trying to deal with their the trauma memories using things like ayahuasca so that they don't have to repress them because repressing if you don't do it if you're not good at it it, it's hard work Mm. you can spend a lot of mental effort trying not to remember it's very tiring indeed absolutely and it's tiring at the physical level as well you know people get you know they they get the headaches they get the clenched jaws it's like you know almost fighting these memories get back get back they're having a physical reaction to a fear well, so, yeah, like, absolutely. Fear, fear makes produces huge physical reactions. What does it? What does it do? What does the brain look like when you're in fear? What What happens to the body? So, in fear, there's a little circuit in the brain, the fear circuit, which gets really hot and that really gets overactive, and that then orchestrates all the things that you have with fear. So, it makes your heart go faster, makes your breathing go faster, makes your skin tingle and creep, makes you sweat, and uh, and it also prepares your muscles. So. When, you know, when you're threatened, you got to, you know, we have what's called the fight or flight reaction. Yep. 
you know, and, and either way, you need a lot of muscle activity. And that's where the exhaustion comes. If you're continually on edge, if you're ready for fight and flight day in, day out, even when you're asleep, as, as, oh. will, as will be if you've got a disorder like PTSD, wow. then you're so tense all the time, you end up getting headaches and, and muscle aches and fibromyalgia type symptoms because you're always waiting to use those muscles, but you're not using them. They're always in a state of t- prepared tension. 
it prevents hyperventilation induced anxiety. Hmm. That's where the um, the paper bag comes in. That's right. Yeah. So breathe. So it used to be that people were having really getting very panicky and really hyperventilating. You'd say breathe into a, a brown bag, a paper bag, yeah. not a plastic bag, but a paper bag, right? <laughs> and uh, and breathe in there so that your carbon dioxide levels will rise, and then that'll dampen down your your uh, your they sense of being you. breathless. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have any other advice for people that suffer from panic attacks? Anything, anything specific? I know a lot of people that suffer from panic attacks. Well, yeah, I think the, the first thing is to try to work out when they come. Okay. And are they related to something? A lot of people have panic attacks when they go outside. You know, they, it's called agoraphobia. Yeah. And oh. Frightened of being. Outside. And so, outside can be lovely if you if you really it can actually help heal you just the outside. Yes. So, so, so that's one such of the, a shame. Mm. Yeah. So then you know, of course, one of the the, the great protective factors is is to have someone with you. Yes. So, so exercise with and, and going out with someone to sort you know to to be there is very. You're much less likely to have a panic attack if someone's there because panic attacks are you feel are, safer. That's right. Well, panic people panic because they feel unsafe. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. kind of counterproductive because it just makes you feel more unsafe. But it's a right. It kind of it's almost like a little form of epilepsy in the brain. But psychologically, you you know having someone with you can can just take away the, the little trigger of fear that you're going to be somehow caught on a, you know, in, in problems outside. Yeah. But, but the other thing to do, I mean, the other, there are a few things which we know provoke panic attacks, so too much coffee. Oh, really? Yeah, so I did a lot of research on panic, panic disorder and about 30% of the people I saw, the panic attacks were just due to the fact they were just basically overdosing on caffeine all the time. Interesting. So you know, a, I was going to go for a run with my lovely Cody and he he made me a little drink and I thought it was a um he's always drinking these protein drinks right uh-huh. and um so he shook me up this little drink it was really sweet and I'm sat there on FaceTime with my sister and then my skin I do not know what the hell this thing was I think it was like a pre-workout thing yeah. and I it wasn't caffeine it was something maybe it was like that I swear to you my skin it was like I had prickles all over it and I thought Jesus, what the hell is going on? But I didn't know it was the drink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I said to my sister, oh my God, something's happening. And I, I've ne- I don't suffer from panic attacks, but I just started to think something is happening. I think I need to go to hospital. And I started breathing quickly and I just burst into tears. And she said, Joss, you're having a panic attack. I'm like, I don't have panic attacks. That's not what it is. She goes, yes, you are. That's what happens. Your skin is going to go prickly. And that's what happens. Actually, I'd been accidentally drugged by my lovely boyfriend. <laughs> but um, oh, Did you work out she, what it was in the end? Yeah, it was something called C something. It was a pre-workout drink that he oh. takes every time he goes for a run. Right, okay. And um, oh, I must find out what it was. But it was, you know, it's not. I don't think it's drugs or anything. I don't know. Um, but the way that Lucy explained the panic attacks, it was exactly the same thing. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, my skin's going to fall off. Mm. Not yeah. good. And that's your nerves going to your skin. But, but the other thing, and it's just a, this is, of course, something that's particularly close mm. to my heart because I've just written a book on it called Drink? Question mark, Which is being released in America at the oh, end of nice. this month. The, Lovely. Yeah, the American version's coming out. So it's paper. called Drink? Yeah, Drink? Question mark. Okay, cool. We have to talk about nut and cut in a minute because that's will, the yeah. one. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, okay, so go on. A lot of people get anxious because they drink too much. Oh. And then they have, they go into withdrawal, alcohol withdrawals associated with anxiety. 
And then, of course, when they get anxious, they yep. drink to overcome that. Exactly. So it's like a, smoking, isn't it? It's a vicious circle. That's right. And it gets worse. Mm. So, yeah, once you start to get any kind of withdrawal reaction from a drug that makes you, when you start using a drug to overcome withdrawal, then you have to, that's a real warning sign. If you're ever using a drug or to stop withdrawal from, stop using the drug. Yeah, then you're really, you're, you're in that circle, that vicious circle. You, are, you, you, must, you must get out of it. Yeah, I do that. You know, I do like to smoke, um, but I like to give up. It's one of my favourite things to do. Absolutely. So I'll go, right, I've smoked now for a few months. I've had a lovely time. I'm now going to not because Good. I don't want to feel out of control. Yeah. And um, I practice it, obviously, because I'm touring and I'm a singer, so it's easy yeah. for me to have a reason to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just be like, I'm not going to smoke now for like six months, and I don't. And at first it's quite hard, but once you get over it in your mind and you know that you can do that, it gives yes. you back a feeling of yeah. like control in a way, absolutely. which I suppose helps us feel happier. Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think one of the key secrets is podcast about happiness. Yeah. The key secrets having having a sense of being in control, and that's of course we're so well, we're lucky, you and I, in a way we yeah. have kind of defined our lives. We've mm. made our lives what we want them to be. For most right. people, they can't do that. Most people' lives are dictated to and driven by other people, and you know, then it's really tough if you know you don't have autonomy. Yeah. I think I believe everybody can. It's just bloody hard sometimes. You know? Yeah, and if you can't get it at work, well, at least make sure you have it outside. Have it at home, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. have it somewhere else on the weekends, whatever it is that you yeah. do with your time. Uh, yes. You know, it's uh, easier said than done, though, isn't it, David? Well, again, it takes practice. Right, exactly. There's that CBT therapy coming in, isn't it? <laughs> that practice. Yes. We must practice bashing away bad thoughts. You know, it's, That's it's right. important. Don't let your boss niggle you, you know. Right, switch exactly. Them off, switch them off, get mindful about it. Yeah. So in my experience, anxiety comes before risks, which usually can lead to a big reward, you know, like being on stage or, yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, having a child or some, you know, yeah. life, life events. Mm. You get anxiety about those things. Yeah. But, you know, if you didn't take those risks, then you wouldn't have the reward. If you don't get anxious, you may perform badly. Yes, I mean, I, I, it's true. Yeah, you'd be boring. <laughs> yeah, well, you would just wouldn't be very good. You wouldn't, yeah. you know, you, you have to have the right level of anxiety in order to get your brain working optimally. Yeah, we need it. Yeah. I think we need, we that's need why the balance. A, that's why I like, I've worked in anxiety disorders all my life because the right mm. level of anxiety is critical. Otherwise, you, you're not anxious. You don't even turn up for the exam, so you fail them all. <laughs> but if you're too anxious, <laughs> you freeze and you don't pass. You know, you've got to get it right. You've got to judge, judge it exactly right. You have to find the balance mm. and, you know, walk towards it, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, yeah, um, the worst thing of all is, as you probably know, maybe you haven't experienced it, but um, just think of the film Judy Garland. Yeah. You know, just think, you know, the worst thing is to be anxious and not prepared. Yeah. And then fail. And then, of course, then you get into that horrible, vicious circle and then you'll start using alcohol to deal with it. So then you have all the things stacking against you. Yep. So preparation and, and a bit of anxiety is the way to optimise whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. But prepare. <laughs> yeah, that will help you feel less anxious. My dad always said to me, what was it he said? Piss poor preparation leads to piss poor production. Um, you go. Absolutely. The peas. Remember the peas. The peas. <laughs> um, tell me about Nut Uncut. It's been out for a bit now. Yeah, well, uh, it's my autobiography. Amazing. And um, 
I'm nearly 70 now. And about two years ago, I, I was... Looking I, good, Dave, looking you, good. It's only the... Yes, it's all makeup. No, I'm, It's I'm, the moisturiser. <laughs> it's the psilocybin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I used to travel a lot. I used to travel, you know, around the mm. world giving lectures and, and, and going to conferences. And so I spent a lot yeah. of time in the air. And about two years ago, I thought, you know, I should use this time to write mm. interesting things, you know, to write, you know, just to leave a legacy, tell people about, I've done some interesting things in my life, you know. Yeah. I've taken on governments, I've lost, but at least I've Absolutely. tried. So I, I started writing these, writing a bit about myself and then mm. we put it all together as a book to support my charity, Drug Science, which... Uh, oh, that's brilliant. It's going to, basically, the charity's published the book and we're hoping that enough people buy it that'll uh, support the charity. So where does it start in your life? At what age? Uh, it starts, well, when I became a scientist. Ah, it the starts, beginning. It well, yes, it's a series of sort of episodes, but it's not the okay. start of narrative of my life. But it start, but it starts with going at junior school and mm. seeing an experiment. I don't know if they, the experiment that taught me that science was the way forward for me. Which is, have you yeah. heard of the collapsing can experiment? No, I haven't. They didn't do that for you at school. I didn't go to school for very long. Oh, okay. <laughs> so please tell me, I need to go to school now. No, this is fantastic. my schooling. So this is an amazing experiment. So you, you have a old petrol can, which you probably don't know what that is. In yep. a can, not a it can't be plastic. It's got to be a can, right? Okay. Plastic can. You put a bit of water in. Yeah. You put it on a, on top of a Bunsen burner. You you know you steam the water off, right? Yeah. Comes out the spout. Then you put the cap on, mm. and then you watch. And as it cools down. The, uh, the air pressure inside drops, and then okay. suddenly the can collapses. Oh! Literally, the can just collapses, just collapses. And, and the kids, you know, you're, eight, oh. you're not 10 years old, and the can collapses. Why is the can collapsed? Well, that's because of air pressure. Because that tells you there's air pressure. You've blown the air out, you've boiled the air out, you've sealed the top so the air can't get back in, and, the air, and you'd never know about air pressure. Until, <laughs> until <laughs> that we, moment. Until that moment, exactly. I thought, my goodness, how much else don't I know? I don't know. I've never how heard of it. interesting. Yeah. And so then I thought, I've got to be a scientist. Yeah. And then there's the <laughs> whole world things. of millions and billions of questions. Yeah, it's kind science. of amazing, isn't it? Because it's never ending. No. And I, the one great thing about science, I suppose, a, I suppose music's a bit similar. You know, you're always adding. You're always adding new things. Yep. If you're writing your own music, you know, you're creating something. You're in doing an experiment. You're generating new data, which it's kind of small in the great scheme of things. But at least it's a little bit, you know... A little increment, you know, a little layer, a, a little stratum of knowledge on the in the great uh, yeah. you know, the mountain of science. Yeah. It can add to something huge, life changing. Well, you I, know, world changing. I think that's what hopefully my psilocybin experiments will do. That. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, do you speak about the um, the famous thing that happened with you in our lovely government in the book? Oh yes, there's a few chapters. Oh, I I build up to it, and I talk <laughs> and I talk about Excellent. the sucking and and the, you know all the hysteria around just. Just telling the truth about drugs is a very dangerous thing to do. Isn't it funny that telling the truth, it can really annoy people? <laughs> well, yeah, and of course, the people it annoys are the people that have been lying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and Isn't getting it away with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good. I'm glad that you hold them to account and that you've stuck with your guns, you know, because it's really, it's really important. It helps people. Oh, I have to ask you one more thing go on. before I let you go, because I know you're very busy. If you have one piece of advice that people can action in this moment to be happier, um, mm. what do you think it would be? That's a great question. Such a difficult one, because <laughs> there's so many things. I would plan, I would plan mm. yeah. to do something really nice as soon as COVID's over. Oh, 
because oh, that's, that's nice. what I'm doing. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. Good idea. Yeah, plan for something positive and beautiful. That's perfect. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, Josh. Great to talk to you again. Mm-hmm. 